As we continue our study of Matthew's gospel, our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 11. I'll start reading in verse 28 and continue to chapter 12 and verse 21. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry. and They began to pluck the heads of the grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God, and they ate the showbread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are blameless? And yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, when he departed from there, he went to their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man among you, who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you'll not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and they plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. And yet he warned them not to make him known. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, until he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will trust. This is the word of the Lord. As we explore this passage today, I want to walk you through a few things. Firstly, the origins of the Sabbath. Secondly, the botching of the Sabbath. Thirdly, the practicing of the Sabbath. Now, let's begin with the origins. You know, God instituted a rhythm of rest for dwelling and celebrating and enjoying. And I started, for those of you here last week, you'll recognize it, that Today's sermon began where last sermon ended because we need this text for context where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and light. When he says easy, he doesn't mean simple. In the Greek, easy means tailor-fitted, custom-made. That the life in which you and I are called to live is a life of renewal and rest. And that comes with union to Jesus. And so in the same way that they would yoke a younger animal to a stronger, more experienced animal... The the stronger, experienced animal is carrying all the weight and essentially leading the younger one in the path that should go. 
So the image that Jesus gives of his yoke being easy and light is union with him, where as time goes on, we learn to love what he loves and we hate what he hates and we put off our sin and we put on the obedience and the glory and the holiness of our Savior. And even though we fail at it, our desire is to emulate him. So this is how this all begins and it culminates in a life of rest and renewal and true and real humanity as as we image our creator. And so all of this talk of rest starts with the, leads us into all this conversation about the Sabbath. And this is not a mistake because Matthew, the author, wants us to see this. That the people have become weary and they're burdened. And there's all these heavy weights of observing the Sabbath. And they're totally missing God's intent. So we want to go back to the origin. So I'm going to zoom way out for just a few minutes to Genesis. This is going to be a long sermon. So buckle up. No, I'm just kidding. But we have to go back to Genesis Because we have to understand what God is actually intending. Genesis starts out with the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's seven words there. And the number seven is repeated so many times in the first chapter of Genesis. It is unmistakable in the Hebrew poetry. I know that there's, it's really exciting, the debates about how old the world is. That is not at all what's going on in Genesis 1. When you... Look at Genesis 1 in in the Hebrew. There is a very intentional balance and cadence of repeated phrases because God is revealing who he is. The very first audience for Genesis already had a framework for God. And the very first people who ever heard the book of Genesis were Egyptian slaves. And so their concept of God was Egyptian theology. So the book of Genesis is God revealing himself to his people and reorienting their understanding of who they even thought God was. And so the purpose of the unpacking of this is that all of the use of sevens is because in the Hebrew culture, the word seven is the exact same continent, consonants as the word complete. So the, the number seven in Hebrew culture was, meant this sense of completeness and wholeness and beauty. So the sevens just keep on rolling. The the words that appear in the very first line of the Bible are repeated over and over that God comes into this darkness and this disorder and he brings and he brings he brings cosmos from the chaos. And this is the God that's creating a life of flourishing. And so for six days of creation, there's emptiness that's being filled and there's disorder that's being ordered and God's solution for the things that are empty is to fill them and his solution for the things that are disordered is to bring order and this is the God who gets his hands dirty who's unlike the Egyptian theology of God who doesn't get his hands dirty he's not intimate and close he doesn't love his creation and the Egyptian theology of God which is where they were all coming from You know, the gods, plural, created lesser gods and lesser gods until eventually they had humans to do the the dirty work. In contrast, our God is lovingly, uh, intimately connected to his creation. And so at the end of each of the creation days, you get the phrase, um, there was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. Guess how many times? It keeps on being repeated. You would think, oh, seven times because there's all of these telescopic sevens. But all of a sudden, the Hebrew poetry gets interrupted on the seventh day. And everybody is anticipating. You have to remember, they don't read. They they listen. This is how ancient cultures learn things, by hearing. So they're hearing the pattern. Ah, the first day, evening and morning. Second day, evening and morning. Third day, evening and morning. Fourth day, evening and morning. Fifth day, evening and morning. Sixth day, evening and morning. Seventh day, the pattern is broken. On the Sabbath day, on the day of rest, when God is resting, 
it's like a day with no end. It doesn't talk about evening and morning. Don't get fixated on, well, how long were they? Were they 24-hour periods? Were there ages? Were there... It's not, this is not the purpose of Genesis 1. It is to stop the pattern of the poetry to say, whoa, this is a day that has no end. To enjoy the presence of God and life with God and to flourish in creation, to flourish as humanity with God. This is an image of this thing that's in the heart of God not ending. And so, this series of telescopic sevens, it just keeps on rolling. On the seventh day of God wanting to be with his people, when God rests, he's not resting from his work because he's tired. This rest, this Shabbat, is enjoyment. It is the ceasing of work for the purpose of celebration. There's no sin involved. There's no brokenness involved. The world is perfect and God is enjoying. It's not a checklist like at the Toyota plant. Quality control. Yep, the birds are good. The trees are good. That's not, it's, not a, it's not a scientific checklist where, where he's resting. He is enjoying. Hebrew scholarship will tell you Genesis 1 is a dance. In some contexts, theologians will call it the dance of creation. Because it's this God who, unlike the other gods, is intimately interested in his creation and loves his creation. And so we know the story. The humans reject God. We, we decide that we will in favor be God. We sever, we create divine treason and we decide to live apart from God. And after the fall of humanity, God wants to restore humanity back to seventh day rest. How does he restore us back to that rest of the soul and the God of our creator? So what he does is he goes and he disturbs Egypt, who has enslaved his people, who have no rest, and he liberates them apart from any of their works by sheer grace, and he saves them out of certain death in Egypt, and then while they're in the wilderness, a place of hardship and suffering and lack, God gives them the Sabbath day rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In other words, you're in a situation where you need to work to survive. Nothing is good. Nothing is easy. You're in the wilderness. But my love for you is so deep and so rich. My provision so profound. My care for you so real. Every seven days, I want you to stop and live as though that rest is a reality. But it's not a reality. But God in his divinity provides for his people. On that seventh day rest, he, even though they continually return to chaos. They continually turn away from him. God is relentlessly calling his people into rest. Not only do they have the, the Sabbath rest, the Shabbat rest every seven days, but every year there were seven festivals celebrating the rest. And then every seven years, they had a huge celebration of rest where they didn't even plant crops for a year to sell, let the land rest. And then a seven times seven, there was the massive year of Jubilee, that monstrous rest where all the debts were forgiven, all the land returned to whoever lost it because they had a crop failure and they had to sell themselves into economic slavery. That Every seven times seven was this glorious divine reset because God is showing his people that he wants. What he ultimately wants is to bring them into a future rest. And of course, all Old Testament prophecy is telling them that this rest is coming, but they keep turning from God. They keep worshiping little gods. They massively fail to enjoy the rest of God. And so generation after generation go by and it's very dark and they're oppressed. And Jesus comes in at that point. He comes into their oppression. 
He is the fulfillment of the seven-day rest. And he shows up on the scene. And guess what day he starts his ministry on? The seventh-day rest. He goes into the temple. He announces his public ministry is starting on the Shabbat. And he grabs the prophet Isaiah and he reads it. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to restore sight to the blind. And he closes the book and he sits down. He announces the seven-day rest is ultimately coming him. This amazing, glorious picture that all of the rest that humanity craves is found in Jesus, in his mission, and what he has come to do. And therefore, he says, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light. There is a way for you to live and enjoy renewal, even in the midst of the wilderness, when everything around you is going crazy, and the world is bonkers, and everybody's, you know, raging, and there's earthquakes, and it's a disaster, and you're in your pocket, your phone has a nonstop stream of sorrow to just inject anxiety directly into your, the core of your being. In the midst of all of that, God's like, please come. Dial out of all of this and be recalibrated to my rest. And that will recalibrate the way you face Monday. The origins of rest. Let's move on to the botching of the Sabbath rest. I chose the word botching. I know it's not very academic. Some of you are like, I can't believe he used this plebeian term, botching. Well, I chose it because I think it's magnificent. I, I, because the etymology of to botch something is a clumsy, inauspicious, failed attempt. A bake fail. You're on Pinterest, you're on Instagram. Somebody makes a cake of Baby Yoda for a kid's birthday. And you're like, oh, my kid loves Baby Yoda. I'm going to make a Baby Yoda cake because I saw a Baby Yoda cake on Pinterest. So you make a Baby Yoda cake and happy birthday, dear. And you look at the cake and woof. That does not look like Baby Yoda. That looks like somebody put Shrek in a microwave. That's a bake fail. That's a botch job. That's what the Pharisees did with the Sabbath rest. They botched it. What God intended was beautiful. What they were up to was pretty bloody ugly. It was not close. It didn't resemble. This is why Jesus has nothing to say good about the way in which the Pharisees misrepresented God and misunderstood because what they did was God's rhythm of rest was for the purpose of enjoying life with him but they reduced it to pious inactivity they totally misrepresented him I mean ironically they're supposed to be enjoying Sabbath rest but what are they doing they're like doing recon missions on the disciples like yo Nick is like hey Simeon Salome come here these guys are I need you guys to do a recon mission in the grain fields. Go hide behind the go hide behind a bush. Make sure your tassels are all tucked in. They're doing recon. They're doing stakeouts. They're supposed to be enjoying the rest of God, but they're working harder than anybody. They're like hiding in the grain fields. They're like, stake me out tonight. We're gonna get this Jesus guy. I don't wanna let you go to catch that guy. That's what they're up to. They're not working. This is the great irony of all of it. And so. The leaders object. This whole thing starts unfolding. They object to the grain eating. They object to Jesus healing the shriveled hand. And then Jesus goes on and he heals an entire multitude of people. God's Sabbath law was always about this dwelling and this enjoying and being rejuvenated by mercy. And of course, the Pharisees were not interested in mercy. They were fixated on activity. You know, they had 39 categories for work and they had a lot of workarounds. 
on how, you know, 39 categories for work on the Sabbath day. One of the work, you know, for example, if you're a man, you can't tie a knot. But if you're a woman, you're allowed to tie a knot on your undergarments. So if you happen to need water, you're, the man uh, can't tie a knot to get the bucket down. But what you can do is find a woman in your life, a friend, your wife, your daughter, your sister, and you can ask them to tie the bucket to their undergarment. You can get the water out with their underwear that way. That, that you're not breaking the Shabbat. Like, there, like the... the I'm borrowing from D.A. Carson, by the way. Like, there, there are so many different commentaries where they just give examples of the ways that they were kind of working around this stuff. And it's not even close to, of course, what God intended. You know you botched something when, in the mind of God, it's supposed to be the best day of the week. And now it's the worst. The day of celebration and soul rest. Yes, thank you, God, for your goodness and who you are. Thank you that you will empower me for tomorrow because this world is crazy. But thank you that by the indwelling power of your spirit, you will enable me. Thank you, God, you will renew all things. But until you do, you will use my gifts and my God-given talents and you will enable me to be a minister in this city using my vocation for your grace. But instead of it being glorious and beautiful, it's just like crushing of the souls. So Jesus responds with some arguments to clarify what God wanted in the Sabbath. Verse 3, hey, didn't you read the thing about David? He's challenging them, right? It's like David and his men are starving. They're going to die. And they go to the priest. And they're not supposed to eat the bread. But they're like, we love God. We're trying to defend the nation from people who hate God. And they eat the bread. And God's fine with it. And Jesus is like, do you understand the principle of this? That the point of the Sabbath isn't like, no, starve, suffer. Jesus is like, you didn't read that? You guys didn't read that? In your school, you never came across that scripture? Intense moves on to verse 5. The priests, Jesus, this is Jesus. The priests in the temple, they profane the Sabbath, and yet they're blameless. Can you imagine how that would have hit your ears? Profane the Sabbath? Jesus is like, think about it, guys. What's your job on the Sabbath? What are you, sitting around? You're doing more work than ever on the Sabbath. Preparing the sacrifices and learning the people. There was a ton of activity. There was a ton of work happening in the temple, and yet blameless. Why? Because God's... God's intention is not the inactivity. Here's the approved list of things you can do on Sundays, and that's fine. And here's the list of things that you cannot. He's like, you, don't, you have missed the entire purpose of the ceasing of the rest. It's to rest from the work that's under all of the work, the curating of a sense of identity and needing to provide for yourself. And God can't take care of me, so I have to take care of myself. And maybe I'll carve 45 minutes out for a sermon, but then i got to get right back to work because there's no way God can make sure my bills are paid. i got to do it. You understand? It's, un- it's the work under all of the work. God's like, take a day. Take a day and let your soul breathe and rest. Pharisees are like, no way. You and I, if we're honest, we're like, can't do it. I feel you pushing back. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 7. Jesus says, if you understood this phrase, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's he's quoting from Hosea 6. God commands this rhythm of rest as beauty. Don't make it ugly. Verse 8, massive audacious claim. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of rest. Just absolutely tremendous. And Jesus, I want to just quickly draw your attention to something. that Jesus actually attends their public worship service. You see that in verse 9. He goes to the synagogue. And he did this all the time. Jesus, he has nothing good to say about the leaders. But he's honoring the institution because it is God's institution. 
the gathering together of his people to worship and to celebrate. This is not a man-made idea. This is what the God of creation has done since Genesis. He's desired to dwell with his people. And so when Jesus comes, he does not obliterate the institution, his life, his death, his resurrection. He puts himself at the center of the institution. I am the Lord of rest. One that is greater than the temple is here. And he condemns all of the, 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 the botching of the institution. But, you know, the first century church didn't abandon the institution. And you and I shouldn't abandon the institution. This is God's means of his wonderful grace of us enjoying him. And while we live at a particular point in time where there is a plethora of podcasts by deconstructionists that are sort of waxing eloquent on how we could be Christians, but we can reject the institution and they're very thoughtful and they sound very academic and they're very mellow in the way they talk about it and it all seems very convincing and it seems very intellectual. My friends, this is like just a glorious uh, uh, bypassing of what has been happening since creation that God has always you have to ignore the origins of rest because the temp, the gathering in the temple is institution of the lord the garden of eden is a metaphor for the temple of gathering with god the institution of the lord sorry when i say metaphor i don't mean that there was no garden i mean that it's a poetic image of the temple of jesus being the greater temple putting himself at the center of this institution when jesus institutes the lord's prayer it's a communal prayer that is done in his institution when jesus institutes the lord's table the bread and the cup that's not you by yourself at the cottage going to the you know the fridge and grabbing bread and wine and having communion staring at the lake that's not communion because you're not communing with your brothers and sisters it's Something that God has done, that Jesus has put himself in the center of. It's all in this community. You know, the, the, the deconstruction, deconstructionist argument always sounds like the church. Jesus calls it his church. It's not a the, it's a his. We're his. We're his people. Now, if a church is botching it, any church, this church, then our doctrine should be deconstructed. Our practices should be deconstructed. The way that we're doing church, it should be examined and deconstructed for the purpose of being realigned and reconstructed to call the people of God into the soul rejuvenating grace of Jesus, our Lord of rest and a life of renewal and flourishing that comes with the obedience and imitation to Jesus, who is our Lord of rest. And so the individual anti-institution, you know, sort of faith. This is not Christian faith because the Lord of rest is also the King of Kings. And our souls flourish under his rule by his grace. According to his word, not our theories. According to what he has instituted and not our theories. So let's move on as we close into the practicing of this Sabbath rest. God's rhythm of rest, it's this invitation into wholeness, completeness, joy. To trust in his provision, rest in the implications of his promise. It is the practice of just sitting and recognizing the trajectory of all creation is this inevitable total restoration. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ being the teaser trailer of the, of the renewal of the material. And as we rest in the implications of that and the good news of God, this is good news. In a world of nonstop sorrow. If you look at verse 10, Jesus comes to a withered hand in the synagogue. And of course, he exposes their hypocrisy. You guys care about your livestock more than people. And he heals the withered hand. And the healing of the withered hand is a sign. And the signs point. 
And it's a sign that is pointing to the fact that the healing and the replenishing of what is dry and withered is what Sabbath rest is for. That our souls, apart from God, apart from the gathering and his renewal, our souls become withered and dry and they need to be replenished by the goodness of his grace. And so just as the people of God were invited into his rest in the middle of the wilderness to reflect on his deliverance in the past and trust in his deliverance in the future and take an entire day to enjoy the beauty of creation with their family and their, their family of faith. With God at the center. We practice the same. We practice the rhythm. There's no working. There's no providing. There's no striving. There's no achieving. Our souls are withered after, after six days of work. We need to be nourished. We need to be replenished. We've got to detach from the cultural liturgy of hustling and grinding and curating and accumulating. We've got to dial out of all of that and get into the eating and the drinking and the resting and the celebrating. The caring and the consoling and the ministering. This is what the rest is for. The multitudes follow Jesus. He heals an entire multitude. Says, don't tell anybody. They're all like, yeah, right. In our community group, to quote quote, uh, one of the young guys in our community group, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And then all the people Jesus healed are like, nah, bro. But we gotta. And this is because it's his timing, his agenda. Jesus is timing everything. He knows these people are going to run around and go crazy and tell people. But he is the Lord of Sabbath rest. He is greater than the temple. He's timing his death so that it happens on the Passover on the seventh day. On the seventh day rest, the body of our Savior is resting in the tomb. And he's risen to new life on the eighth day, the first day of the week, the Sunday, the new Sabbath, the dawn of the new creation, the dawn of the new humanity, the dawn of all new things. The restoration of what God has intended from the beginning is going to be accomplished. It's all going to culminate in this new reality. Healing the entire multitude is a sign of massive, monstrous, material renewal. And that should give you and I boldness for Monday because we do not live in a world that believes in a trajectory of renewal. They believe in a trajectory of eventual darkness, decay, death, and non-existence. And so we're essentially culturally all sort of freaked out because all we have is the short 60 to 90 years if we're lucky to get that on the planet. So we are dialed into this practicing of this Sabbath rest. And I close with this. He, he closes by quoting Isaiah 42. Behold the servant that I have chosen. Speaking of the gentle character of Jesus. A bruised reed I will not break. If something's bruised, it's on the verge of breaking. How many people are on the verge of breaking? How often are you and I on the verge of breaking? The bruised reed I will not break break. The smoldering flax, the smoldering wick will not extinguish. Something that's on the verge of going out. What is Jesus' disposition toward the one who's just on the verge of going out? Gentleness, renewal, rest, rejuvenation. He is the Lord of rest. His gentleness At creation, God ceased from all of his work because it was finished. The cross, 
ushering in the new creation, Jesus Christ ceased from all his work and he declared the cross and was finished and united to Christ, our Lord of rest. May you and I be strengthened by his indwelling spirit because it is finished. Let's pray.